Chapter 12, Part 2 of Glimpses of Italian Society in the 18th Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Maggiore, Return to Verona, Part 2. Bergamo. Bergamo is built up a steep hill. Like Lansdowne Road at Bath, the buildings not so regular, the prospect not inferior but of a different kind resembling that one sees from Rootham Hill in Kent, but richer, and presenting a variety beyond credibility, when it's premised that scarce any water can be seen, and that the plains of Lombardy are low and flat. Within the eye, however, one may count all the original blessings bestowed on humankind, corn, wine, oil, and fruit. The enclosures being small, too, and the trees as the French call it. No parterre was ever more beautifully disposed than are the fields surveyed from the summit of the hill where stands the Marquis's palace, elegantly sheltered by a still higher rising ground behind it, and commanding from every window of its stately front a view of prodigious extent and almost unmatched beauty as the diversification of colouring reminds one of nothing but the fine pavement at the roman pantheon so curiously intersected are the patches of grass and grain flax and vines arable and tilth in this happy disposition of earth and its most valuable products while not a hedge fails to afford perfume that fills the very air with fragrance from the sweet jessamine that twisting through it lends a weak support to the wild grapes which dangling in clusters invite ten thousand birds of every european species i believe below the size of a pigeon nor is the taking of these creatures by the roccolo to be left out from among the amusements of brasian and bergamasque nobility nor is the eating of them when taken to be despised becaficos and ortolans are here in high perfection and it was from these northern districts of Italy, I trust, that Vitellius and all the classic gluttons of antiquity got their curious dishes of singing bird pie, etc. The rich scent of melons at every cottage door is another delicious proof of the climate's fertility and opulence. Where every sense is lost in every joy, as Hughes expresses it, and where in the delightful villa of our highly accomplished acquaintance, the Marquis of Araceli, we have passed ten days in all the pleasures which wit could invent, money purchase, or friendship bestow. The last nobleman who resided here, father to the present lord, was Cavalier Cervente to the immortal Clelia Borromeo, whose virtues and varieties of excellence would fill a volume. Could I clear my head of prejudice for such talents as I find here, and my heart of partial regard, which is in reality but grateful friendship justly due from me for so many favours received, could I forget that we are now once more in the state of Venice, where everything assumes an air of cheerfulness unknown to other places, I might perhaps perceive that the fair at Bergamo, differs little from a fair in England. 
except that these cattle are whiter and ours larger. How a score of good ewes now, as Master Shallow says, but I really did ask the price of a pair of good strong oxen for work, and heard it was ten zecchines, about half the price given at Blackwater, but ours are stouter and capable of rougher service. It is strange to me where these creatures are kept all the rest of the year, for except at fair time one very seldom sees them, unless an actual employment of carting, ploughing, etc. Nothing is so little animated by the sight of living creatures as an Italian prospect. No sheep upon their hills, no cattle grazing in their meadows, no waterfowl, swans, ducks, etc. upon their lakes, and when you leave Lombardy, no birds flying in the air, save only from time to time, betwixt Florence and Bologna, a solitary kite soaring over the surly Apennines and breaking the immense void which fatigues the eye. A ragged lad or wench, too, now and then leading a lean cow to pick among the hedges, has a melancholy appearance, the more so as it is always held fast by a string and struggles in vain to get loose. These, however, are only consequences of luxuriant plenty. For where the farmer makes four harvests of his grass, and every other speck of ground is profitably covered with grain, vines, etc., all possibility of open pasturage is precluded. Horses, too, so ornamental in an English landscape will never be set loose in an Italian one, as they are all chevaux entiers, and cannot be trusted in troops together as ours are, even if there was ground unenclosed for them to graze on, like the common lands in Great Britain. A nobleman's park is another object never to be seen or expected in a country where people would really be deserving much blame did they retain in their hands for mere amusement ten or twelve miles circuit of earth capable to produce two or three thousand pounds a year profit to their families, beside making many tenants rich and happy in the meantime. I will confess, however, that the absence of all these agréments gives a flatness and uniformity to the views which we cannot complain of in England, but when Italians consider the cause, they will have reason to be satisfied with the effect, especially when vegetable nature flourishes in full perfection, while every step crushes out perfume from the trodden herbs, and those in the hedges dispense with delightful liberality a fragrance that enchants one. Hops and pyracanthus cover the sides of every cottage, and the scent of truffles attracts and the odour of melons gratifies one's nerves when driving among the habitations of fertile Lombardy. Milan. We are now cutting hay here for the last time this season, and all the environs smell like spring on this 15th of September, 1786. The autumnal tint, however, falls fast upon the trees, which are already rich with a deep yellow hue. A wintry feel upon the atmosphere early in the morning, heavy fogs about noon, and a hollow wind towards the approach of night. Make it look like the very last week of October in England, a mourn us that summer is going.
the same circumstances prompt me who am about to forsake this her favourite region to provide furs flannels etc for the passing of those alps which look so formidable when covered with snow even at their present distance our swallows are calling their clamorous counsel round me while i write but the butterflies still flutter about in the middle of the day the grapes are growing more wholesome as with us when the mornings begin to be frosty our desserts however do not remind us of tuscany the cherries here are not particularly fine and the peaches all part from the stone miserable things an english gardener would not send them to table the figs too were infinitely finer at leghorn and nectarines have i never seen at all well here is the opera begun again some merry wag abate casti i think has accommodated and adapted the old story of king theodore to put in ridicule the present king of sweden who is hated of the emperor for some political reasons i forget what and he of course patronizes the jester our honest lombards however take no delight in mimicry and feel more disgust than pleasure when simplicity is insulted or distress made more corrosive by the bitterness of a scoffing spirit i have tried to see whether they would laugh at any oddity in their neighbour's manner but never could catch any except perhaps now and then a sly roman who had a liking for it i see nothing absurd about the man says one gentleman everybody may have some peculiarity and most people have but such things make me no sport let us when we have a mind to laugh go and laugh at punchinello from such critics therefore the king of sweden is safe enough as they have not yet acquired the taste of hunting down royalty and crowing with infantine malice when possessed of the mean hope that they are able to pinch a noble heart this old-fashioned country which detests the sight of suffering majesty hisses off its theatre performance calculated to divert them at the expense of a sovereign prince his character is clear from blame and his personal weaknesses are protected by his birth and merit while it is to his open free and politely generous behaviour alone they owe the knowledge that he has such foibles paisiello therefore cannot drive it down by his best music though the poor king of sweden is a lutheran too and if anything would make them hate him that would one vice however sometimes prevents the commission of another and that same prevailing idea which prompts these prejudiced romanists to conclude him doomed to everlasting torments who dares differ from them though in points of no real importance inspires them at the same time with such compassion for his supposed state of predestinated punishment that they rather incline to defend him from further misery and kindly forbear to heap ridicule in this world upon a person who is sure to suffer eternal damnation in the other but the spanish grandee who not only entertained but astonished us all one night with his conversation at carini's casino in venice 
is arrived here at Milan and plays upon the violin. He challenged acquaintance with us in the street, half invited himself to our private concert last night, and did us the honour to perform there with the skill of a professor, the eager desire of a dilettante, and the tediousness of a solitary student. He continued to amaze, delight, and fatigue us for four long hours together. He is a man of prodigious talents, and replete with variety of knowledge. A new dance has been tried at here, too, but was not well received, though it represents the terrible story which, under Madame de Jolie's pen, had such uncommon success among the reading world, and is called La Sepolta Viva. But as the Duchess Girofalco, whose misfortune it commemorates, is still alive, the pantomime will probably be suppressed, for she has relations at Milan, it seems, and one lady, distinguished for elegance of form and charms of voice and manner, told me yesterday with equal sweetness, spirit and propriety, that though the King of Naples sent his soldiers to free his aunt from that horrible dungeon where she had been nine years confined, yet if her miseries were to become the subject of stage representation, she could hardly be pronounced happy or even at ease. With these reflections and many others excited by gratitude to private friends and general admiration of a country so justly esteemed, we shall soon take our leave of Milan, famed for her truly hospitable disposition, a temper of mind sometimes abused by travellers, perhaps, whose birth and pretensions are seldom or ever inquired into, whilst no people are more careful of keeping their rank inviolate by never conversing on equal terms with a countryman and woman of their own, who cannot produce a proper length of ancestry. I will not leave them, though, without another word or two about their language, which, though it sounded strangely coarse and broad, to be sure, as we returned home from Florence, Rome, and Venice, I felt sincerely glad to hear again, and have some notion, by their way of pronouncing bicchiere, word used here to express everything that holds water, that our pitcher was probably derived from it. And the Abate di Vecchio, a polite scholar and an uncommonly agreeable companion, seemed to think so too. His knowledge of the English language, joined to the singular power he has over his own elegant Tuscan tongue, made me torment him with a variety of inquiries about these confusing dialects, which lead me at last little chance to understand any, whilst a child is called Bambino at Florence, Putto at Venice, Sciato at Bergamo, and Creatura at Rome. And at Milan they call a wench Tosa, an apron is Grimbiule, at Florence I think Traversa, at Venice Bigarol, at Brescia and some other parts of Lombardy, Senale, at Rome and at Milan, Scorza. A foreigner may well be distracted by varieties so striking, but the turn and idiom differ ten times more still, and I love to hear our Milanese call an oak robo rather than Kerela somehow, and tell a lady when dressed in white that she is 
tutta in albedine. Verona. But it is time to leave all this and rejoice in my third arrival at gay, cheerful, charming Verona, whither some sweet leave-taking verses have followed us, written by the facetious Abate Ravasi, a native of Rome, but for many years an inhabitant of Milan. His agreeable sonnet, every line ending with Toto, being upon a subject of general importance, would serve as a better specimen of his abilities than lines dictated only by partial friendship, but I hear that is already circulated about the world and printed in one of our magazines. To them let him trust his fame. They will pay my just debts. We have now seen this enchanting spot in spring, summer and autumn. Nor could winter's self render it undelightful, while uniting every charm and gratifying every sense. Greek and Roman antiquities salute one at the gates. Gothic remains render each place of worship venerable. Nature in her holiday dress decks the environs, and society animates with intellectual fire the amiable inhabitants. Improvisation at this place pleases me far better than it did in Tuscany. Our truly learned Abate Lorenzi astonishes all who hear him by repeating, not singing, a series of admirably just and well-digested thoughts which he, and he alone, possesses the power of arranging suddenly as if by magic and methodically as if by study to rhymes the most melodious and most varied while the abbe berthollar of the university of pavia gives one pleasure by the same talent in a manner totally different singing his unpremeditated strains to the accompaniment of a harpsichord round which stand a little chorus of friends who interpolate from time to time two lines of a well-known song to which he pleasingly adapts his compositions and goes on gracing the barren subject and adorning it with every possible decoration of wit and every desirable elegance of sentiment nothing can surely surpass the happy promptitude of his expression unless it is the brilliancy of his genius but i will not be seduced by the pleasures of praising my sweet friends of verona to lengthen this chapter with further panegyrics upon a place i leave with the truest tenderness and with the sincerest regret but the correspondence i hope long to maintain with the charming contessa mosconi must compensate all it can for the loss of her agreeable coterie where my most delightful evenings have been spent where so many topics of english literature have been discussed where lorenzi read tasso to us of an afternoon bertola made verses and the Cavalier Pindemonte conversed, where the three graces, as they are called, joined their sweet voices to sing when satiety of pleasure made us change our mode of being happy and kept one from ever wishing to hear anything else. For Countess Caminati sang Bianchi's duets, with the only tenor fit to accompany a voice so touching and taste so refined. Verona Qui te verit et non amaret, says some old writer, I forget who, Protinus is credo se ipsum non amat. Note. Whoever sees thee without being smitten with extraordinary passion must, I think, be incapable of loving even himself. 
End note. Indeed, I never saw people live so pleasingly together as these do, the women apparently delighting in each other's company without mean rivalry or envy of those accomplishments which are commonly bestowed by heaven with diversity enough for all to have their share. The world surely affords room for everybody's talents. Would everybody that possessed them but think so, and were malice and affectation once completely banished from cultivated society, Verona might be found in many places, perhaps. She is now confined, I think, to the sweet state of Venice. End of chapter 12, part 2 End of Glimpses of Italian Society in the 18th Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi